Hello, I'm Alistair. And I'm Andrew. Welcome to Season 9, Episode 4 of Seen From Above, an informal podcast about the cool things happening in Earth observation. Check out seenfromabove.org for the podcast archive and show notes. Follow the show on Twitter via at EOSeenFrom and using the hashtag SeenFromAbove. In this episode, we're going to question the viability of the Earth observation industry. Cool. Let's do the news then. 24th of February, 2021. How time flies. Almost March. I know. Have you come across the uh, harmonised Landsat Sentinel-2 or uh, HLS product data set before? Yes, in, in the fact that I know the name, but no in terms of knowing what it is, and I've never used it. Well, that's fair enough. Um, <laughs> I came across it quite a few years ago, actually. I remember trying to get access to the data, and there used to be sort of really tiny chunks of data. And from memory, you had to go through all sorts of, you know, I agree to this, click. And all of a sudden, I was on a sort of FTP site, and it was saying, if you're not a US governmental registered employee, you know, something something along those lines. Yeah. And all, all of a sudden, I just went cold. I was <laughs> like, oh. Well, I was like, oh, I think I'm not going to download this now. So I've had my eyes on this HLS harmonized surface reflectance product for a while. I remember when it came out, I was like, oh, this makes a lot of sense. Sentinel-2. Landsat 8, getting a better coverage, working together, increasing the, the, the data sets. If you go to the, the Harmonize Landsat Sentinel 2 page, they've got this breakdown of, of products. And when I first came across it, they, they have this sort of breakdown of S10, S30, L30, and M30. And I remember looking at it initially thinking, well, what is this? And when you read it a, a bit deeper, in fact, now you just read straight underneath it, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> but at the time I was like, what is this? And basically it's all been harmonized to the same tiling system of Sentinel-2, same projection, um, all, all this kind of stuff. But the S stands for Sentinel and the L stands for Landsat and the M is the harmonized product. And the numbers after it relate to the full resolution. So S10, 10 meters, S30, 30 meters, etc. And uh, why am I talking about it now? They've just started to um, make it available for download through the NASA distribution centers. So um, LPDAC and Earth Data Search and also available, interestingly, through Worldview. Things like Google Earth and all this kind of stuff make it seem quite easy, but this kind of work is quite valuable and in a decade now where nasa's visibility and prevalence seems to be on the ascendancy this sort of quiet stuff that goes on in the background but i'm personally very excited about this on their um, announcement page about halfway down there's a steps for the hls processing it's a sort of flow chart kind of powerpoint s diagram and it makes me laugh because all that four years of work or whatever it was and it's just like oh we just get this atmospherically correct it, ge geometric correct it, BRDF normalization, band pass adjustment, and there you go, it's done. I see that they also mention that they hope to eventually integrate it into Appears, which is, again, something that I think we should probably touch on at some point in the future, because it's a really nifty tool. For time series stuff, it's really, really cool. Yeah, and super impressive effort that's gone in behind to not just throwing the data over the fence anymore, well, staying on the data side of things, I saw an announcement uh, recently that was talking about a hydrological data set. There's a new release of a global, let's get this right, SM2 rain hyphen ASCAT satellite rainfall product that includes 14 years of daily rainfall at 10 kilometer resolution. Wow. I know. <laughs> Again, I'm just going to reiterate that's global daily satellite derived rainfall, which is really, really impressive. So what have we got here? The data is going to be made available in net CDF format. And so there's going to be a total of 14 
NetCDF files, one per year. There's also going to be a quality flag that's provided with the data set. There's a whole load of code that's being made available in Python that's on a GitHub repo. Same for MATLAB and the same for R. So whichever language you're doing your uh, scientific processing in, they've got you covered. It looks as if as well, there's also a GeoTIFF version that's either available or is going to be available. Yeah, it's a really, really amazing thing, I think. Yeah, they've got almost 11,500 downloads. It's sort of reaffirming its importance. NetCDF again, though. And I... If we were to do what's the difference between GIS and Earth Observation, NetCDF would be one of those things. Yeah, and so <laughs> nicely following on from that as well. Um, the further I go into looking at tutorials related to interaction with satellite data, the more impressive the resources tend to be. So it brings me to the UN Spider Knowledge Portal, and I came across this step-by-step radar-based flood mapping with Python. And straight away, as soon as you go onto this, this page, you can open the, um, the code straight into GitHub or open it in Colab, the Google version of Jupyter Notebooks, effectively. Uh, anyway, this tutorial is, is fantastic and really sort of sets about how to go and get the data, where you go and get it, limitations, all this kind of stuff. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> It's hard to sort of put into words. Go and have a look at it. I like the fact that it looks as if there's basically four steps that they take you through, but in each step, they then break that down into various different things that either you need to know or you're going to be dealing with or whatever. So it's a really nice way of presenting it. Yeah, I mean, I've just clicked onto the um, the GitHub repo and they've, they've even got what module you're importing and the description of what it does in the program. That's really nice. I really thank the authors for doing that. All this kind of stuff, all these little things so beneficial to the new user. I love the fact that there's tools like Binder and opening Colab and things like that, that just make the dealing with these various notebooks and code and everything else really, really easy for the user. So this is just a a brief one, but Mount Etna on Sicily has erupted and there's been a whole host of images. In fact, I've just checked again. They've all been updated with more tweets and things. But so far, I've seen uh, some really cool animations derived from the Meteosat satellites, some really nice visualizations of the eruption itself using Sentinel-2. I saw that the International Space Station astronauts have also been taking images of the eruption and that they've been posted as well. So I'm guessing that there will be even more images from different satellite systems. Obviously, as with all these disasters that we report on, it's awful for the people who are close by, but it's a really good way of trying to expose Earth observation, I guess, out to a wider audience. And the fact that different satellites and satellite systems collect information in different ways and can be presented in different ways. Simon Proud at SimonSat posted a brilliant Meteosat GIF of it erupting and it's just like poof (laughs) and and this uh, trail of volcanic ash I guess disappears in a different direction to the actual cloud as it were the final thing I had was a bit of sort of wider space news a company called Alpha Insights is planning to put a dual band SAR satellite up at some point. What they're looking to do is create some small sats with dual band synthetic aperture radar on them. And with the idea of trying to produce imagery at a resolution of 40 centimeters, which is pretty impressive. The the two bands that they're looking at are X band, which I guess will be the one that gives the 40 centimeters and L band. So whether they'll do some processing to try and also get the L band at 40 centimeters, I'm not sure. But yeah, it's an interesting idea. And the guy behind it also co-founded Earthcast back in 2010. So 
Yeah, there's a bit of history there. So we'll see see where it goes. Another SAR. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you see where my topic is coming from? <laughs> Good link. Cool. And that's the news, yeah? Yep. Okay, so on to our main topic for this episode. And I'm just going to give a brief outline of where I'm coming from, because I came up with the topic. And then maybe, Andrew, you can either agree with me or challenge me, and we can have a bit of a discussion about this. So I'm not sure if this is a consequence of being in lockdown for so long, or whether it's a legitimate response to what I'm seeing on social media and what I think is happening in the Earth observation sector. What I want to try and do today with our discussion is challenge the notion that the Earth observation sector is awesome. So first off, a caveat. Obviously, both Andrew and I think the EO sector is great. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing this podcast or working in the sector. But personally, I always think it's really healthy to try and question the status quo and just to make sure that some of the messages that are being put out are sensible and that they're not just massive amounts of hype, because we do know that there's a lot of hype around at the moment, particularly in sort of new space as a, as a broader ecosystem, but Earth observation as well. So there's a few things that I want to try and maybe bring into the discussion. So first off is that there's lots of jobs being advertised, and this in itself is, is a good thing. But one of the things that I've noticed is that Everything seems to be about trying to get people into companies. And so the company grows, which is, again, if you look at traditional business models, is, is great, I guess. But over the last sort of 12 to 24 months, if not longer, there's been a real shift in the workforce with people making the decision or being forced to become freelancers or set up micro businesses. So that's businesses where there's one or two people in it. And with that ecosystem growing, why isn't there more of an effort by some of the larger companies who have got funding, et cetera, or are trying to grow? Why is there not more of an effort to try and make use of that ecosystem of people who are specialists? Because quite often the people who set up as freelancers or micro businesses will have been in the industry for some time. And so they are experienced specialists. But it just strikes me that there's a, a whole bunch of people who don't necessarily want to work in the traditional notion of joining a company, but could really, really provide an opportunity to a company. And that company could also provide an opportunity to those individuals. So I think that's something that needs to be looked at. So another point that I've seen is there's so much venture capital being pumped into the sector. How are investors going to make their money back? So I'm no venture capitalist specialist, but my understanding, <laughs> yeah, otherwise I wouldn't be here, but my understanding is that you basically if you invest in something, you want to generate quite a large amount of growth to make a lot of money back when the, the company gets sold. Yeah. My question is, are the earth observation companies too specialist? Because it's like earth observation is cool, but I don't think it's the sort of industry where people are going to be running around going like, oh, you know what we really need? We need some Earth observation data to do such and such. I mean, it's always going to be niche unless I'm missing the bigger picture again. And there's a really interesting discussion um, on a podcast between a couple of people who understand <laughs> the funding mechanisms better than me. So that's Joe and Aravind on the TerraWatch Space podcast. So that's worth checking out. And I'll put a link in the show notes. So if, if you'll just bear with me, Andrew, I, I realize I'm, I'm monologuing this. Two more points. So one is 
will clients actually pay for earth observation? And in earth observation, I'm using that as both data and services. We did a really unscientific poll on Twitter, uh, but the result got me thinking. So the question was, what's the biggest limiter in the earth observation sector at the moment? And the four options I gave were data access, finding work, lack of collaboration and paying clients. And I thought beforehand that data access was going to probably be the major limiter. But the one that came out as the most common was lack of paying clients, which Mm. is a bit worrying really? Because if paying clients are difficult to come across, then that means that the sector isn't really viable on its own. Or is it going to survive on the VC funding that we talked about in the previous point? All of the four options in that poll were represented in greater numbers than I was expecting. And it was a a lot more even than I was expecting. But I think some of them are relatively simple to fix with a little bit of work. So lack of collaboration, I think, with a little bit of will and some effort on behalf of certain people within the community, I think that could really be fixed. And then the final point I'm going to make is, will mergers, acquisitions, and the economic rebalancing due to COVID, and the fact that software developers elsewhere will bypass the specialists in the EO sector mean that things balance out in the end, and that all this hype is just that? It's a bit of a bubble that will pop. Gim International is a a magazine, and they had a short article looking at a possible future of geospatial, which is quite interesting if you want to go and have a read of that, and that'll be in the show notes as well. But it's interesting to really think where Earth observation is going to sit within that and where it might be in the next few years, really, in terms of where it's going. On those points, I want to question whether or not the sector itself is viable as the way it is with the skills that it has and the data and the direction that it's going in, or whether or not everything is really healthy and it's going to be amazing. I'm not sure we we have a sector we did talk about this briefly before, didn't we, a few years ago. Are we space? Are we geospatial? Is Earth observation a sector on its own? We're, we're a bit of everything, aren't we, really? Because we, we cross over with space and new space, if those are different, I don't know, but if they are. And also we're in geospatial, but we're. it seems to me like there's a lot of people using EO data now who have no spatial background, and that's, that's great. Quite often, though, on these looking forward to 2025 or... 2030 or whatever whatever the sort of increment may be earth observation is often referred to in passing and sometimes hardly ever at all and then in other occasions someone has jumped on a bandwagon they just make a pronouncement to say the next big thing will be using all the satellite data without really elaborating on what that use may be um I think you make some really interesting points. I, I do think there are a lot of jobs being advertised, and I think that's fantastic. Why don't more freelancers and micro-businesses get more work? I think it's just a predominant use of trying to do everything in-house. Yeah, I guess. But I just feel that by doing that, they're missing out. I mean, on the flip side, you could easily say that freelancers and micro-businesses very quickly reach capacity. But also you could say that it's very difficult to find well-curated lists of who is there. Whereas if you're hiring someone, I guess, into a role, then you're, you're basically going out to the, the whole of the world and saying, here's the advert. But I, I just think in terms of those adverts, it would be really nice if there was something that um, freelancers and independent consultants welcomed, please apply. We'd like to have a discussion about how it could work with you as well. 
because you're going to get a very different type of person. And it's not that one is better or worse than another. It's just, I personally think it's limiting to not be able to call upon everyone you could call upon. I would agree with that to a point, but I mean, a lot of the, a lot of jobs are there for sustaining as well. And a lot of micro businesses or consultants are there to produce you a website and then go for example and then you go on to the next website you become very good at wordpress for, for example and in earth observation there are projects you perhaps would hire a freelancer or a, a micro business to help a company that hadn't got previous experience in this area get up to speed before they then take that pipeline of data on board or whatever it may be or maybe have an extra pair of eyes on a project or maybe even sort of oversee that project but a lot of jobs whether 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 rightly or wrongly you need to have someone sustaining i mean if you're selling a if you're selling a service you need to be be able to have someone in in the back room supporting that service on a, on a day-by-day basis not necessarily just working on projects yeah yeah okay yeah um venture capital <laughs> <laughs> Our specialist area. <laughs> I honestly don't know. I mean, I think that there's a lot of governmental money going into Earth observation. There is the the danger of this sort of house of cards situation where there's a company waiting to build the next satellite for you, like the airline industry. You know, we need so many orders to sustain our our business. So that circle is important. You know, venture capital goes all across. Um, and again, I'm going to say sector because <laughs> space sector kind of includes Earth observation, but really we're sort of a tiny component of it, really. I mean, there's the launch, the build, the there's geostationary, the real growth areas, although they're even more niche, you know, like in-orbit servicing, for example, of satellites, stuff that, you know, you and me wouldn't have a clue about. It's not just a lot of venture capitalism going into one very specific Earth observation area. Uh, will clients pay for EO? <laughs> um, yes, they do. They absolutely do. I think we have to acknowledge that the new users of, of Earth observation data, this this unlimited potential that's often talked about, aren't necessarily Earth observation people, but they're more likely to be people who are very used to working with APIs. Companies and, and businesses who've never previously thought of Earth observation suddenly slam into this idea where all oh, those data sets are potentially available to us. I don't know if you've heard it yet, but there's a, a new episode of GMO podcast that's come out and they interview an app developer and it's a, a running app that he's developed because he's a runner and basically he wanted some problem to be solved and it's called Trail Router and it's absolutely brilliant. And the thing that's really stuck in my mind is that it's all done off of OpenStreetMap and he basically said, yeah, I have no idea about spatial stuff. I haven't got any background in it, but this is a great big database and it's a really rich database and it's awesome. And I could develop my app off of it. And I think we're seeing similar sorts of things happening in EO Yeah. in terms of people just looking at it and going like, oh, it's an interesting looking sort of data set. It answers the problem that I've got or helps answer the problem. And then they can pull that information in. Quite often people arrive into the geospatial industry and I think there probably is a geospatial sector and they sort of look around and they go, we haven't got time for this sort of desktop processing and pulling down data and you know consulting. We've got a very specific question that we want to address and we're going to do it in the, the most applicable to our business way. We kind of forget that a big part of our community is academia who are doing a heck of a lot of research across a huge spectrum of very important earth observation challenges. But then there's the commercial market that 
you and me are trying to understand and operate in. And then that's being challenged in a different way. As a wider sector, we seem to be constantly going through the motion of doing the same project after project after project. I want to look to the Earth Observation commercial sector as really pushing things forward and making new connections and acquaintances with businesses outside of the sector to really allow all of the knowledge and the skills that are within Earth Observation to inform the problems that are outside of it. When I hear about things like Joe Morrison mentioned about a company that was using Earth Observation to try and predict the amount of water that was going to be going through a hydro dam to give information about the amount of electricity that would be generated in a week's time or whatever it was. That to me is really, really powerful and really, really exciting and really interesting. We're on the cusp. Maybe that's maybe that's my frustration is that I can see we're on the cusp and it's not getting there fast enough for me. But I, I guess it is coming. There's always going to be project-based work because there's always going to be prototyping, isn't there? How many of the projects actually go on to become either a service or a, a larger series of projects? Because What's the return on the investment? That's an excellent question. And I think it, it leads to deep frustration in the people who fund these things. And it often revolves back to making it harder to get the funding in the first place. I mean, we should be clear, it's not just, you know, a government agency chucking out 100% of a, of a project budget and just send us a PowerPoint at the end. It, it's just, it's not like that, is it, at all? No. And quite often, it's a huge input system where there's a lot of discussion and a, and a lot of risk shared between stakeholders. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Sometimes you see some amazing projects come out of public funded money but when the money stops if that service hasn't become financially viable then that's like the ultimate justification for not continuing it and then that gets lost in an idea yeah exactly and i've seen this happen so many times i think this comes back to the twitter poll that we did i i'm I'm genuinely quite shocked about this this whole answer about the fact that the lack of paying clients is a major blocker because like you i I accept clients do pay and and they will hopefully continue to pay for the the services that are out there within the the sector but I find there's a disconnect between the answer in that poll, which I get is a small Twitter poll, and the amount of funding that's going in. It's like the, the two things just don't seem to marry up, because surely what you need is a really healthy collection of clients, and that will drive all the growth in the industry. I see all these different things mentioned, like national plans and strategies and all sorts of things like that. There's a lot of headlines. And I think what really needs to happen is a coherent structure that includes all businesses at all levels of all different sizes in order to have an input and make sure that everyone is covered by this. And that's really difficult to do. And I'm, I'm, I'm not saying it's going to be easy. You need to be able to pull everyone together behind you. That's one of the problems with end of project. There's a, there's a lot to be said for sticking with it and becoming kind of dependable. If you come to trust that this is going to be a service of observation data and you're wowed by it, and then all of a sudden it stops being a service. I think you've just hit the nail on the head there, actually, in terms of wrapping this up as well. It does all come down to trust. In order for the sector to be viable, I think there needs to be trust that those working in it have long-term career prospects and those working in it are producing products and services and goods and solutions that are useful to the clients. There also has to be the trust that the clients will pay for those in an ongoing manner. Really, it it does all come back to that centralized notion of trust. And it's that that's going to sort of make the whole thing viable in the long term. 
We encourage you to drop us a line through Twitter using at EOSeenFrom, where you can find a vibrant community based around the podcast. Thanks for listening, and that's it for now. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Alistair. Bye. I'm angry. Okay, unleash the beast. Rawr. Podcast music is Cracker Jacks and Tin Whistles by Ocean Heights and is licensed under the Attribution Non-Commercial Creative Commons license. Available on freemusicarchive.org.